Hello and welcome to Sip Sip Hooray, the podcast for people who love wine, want to learn more about it, and meet the people who make it. We've got a fun show lined up for you today, today, today. And if you hear a bit of an echo, that is because we are sitting inside the first wine cave in Mendocino. It is located at the stunningly beautiful Saracena Vineyards. And we're going to get to know Saracena and its uber-talented winemaker today, Alex McGregor. We are, of course, the two Marys who like to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm Mary Babbitt. And I'm Mary Orlin, and we are in Hopland in Mendocino County, the heart of Mendocino County. And when you come to Saracena, it's really evident from the moment you come on the ranch that biodiversity is the mantra here. You'll see these blazing orange fire willow trees, 140-year-old, gnarly, twisted olive trees. And um, you'll also see some adorable baby goats, alpacas, and there's even more. And um, our guest today, Alex McGregor, will tell us all about it. He's the founding winemaker here at Saracena, and um, he's crafting wines that are exquisite and that will keep you coming back for more sip after sip. So he's here, here to share the story of Saracena Vineyards. Alex, welcome to Sip Sip Hooray. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to get to know you. I always like to start with kind of, before we hear about your background, tell us what is your favorite thing about Saracena? What is the thing that when you wake up in the morning, you're glad to come to work? Tough question. I like it all. I would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify that. What I like about my job is diversity. Outside, inside, technical. There's some art involved. There's some science involved. So, and, and this property embodies all of that. There's outside, there's inside, there's the caves, which are stunning. So I like the diversity of the property more than one single thing. Yeah, and there's a lot here. There is. It's pretty spectacular. As Mary was describing, this the setting is just, I mean, it's beautiful. Thank you. Probably never gets old for you. It doesn't get old, and it's a work in progress, so it's definitely not old. It's, it's not static at all. So. so, Alex, you've been here as winemaker since day one. Since 2002. And yep. so tell us about um, the founding of Saracena, a little bit of the background and history. A 30-second history, the property was purchased by the Fetzer family in 1980-81. The property was, well, the, the brand was sold to Brown Foreman. There was a 10-year no-compete clause, and many of the Fetzer children began their own brands. John Fetzer and his wife, Patty Rock, began Saracena in 2001 with our first wine, a Sauvignon Blanc, being released in 2002 when I came on board. And moved forward to 2018, Mark Taub, who's a third-generation importer, distributor, man-about-town, wine enthusiast <laughs> person of the year, bought the property with the idea of consolidating some of his California holdings and starting with some brick and mortar in California. He could have bought anywhere in the, in the country and bought Saracena for, for many reasons, some of which you've already described. And we're on a, on a path to replant, supplement, um, recraft a little bit what, what, what John and his wife Patty had started methodically and, and correctly with the aim of having a really long-term sustainable 
brand that should be the diamond of Mendocino, is the diamond of Mendocino County, if I could humbly say so, and, and will continue to be. Absolutely. And, you know, we'll talk more about that whole sustainability piece, but when you drive in right now, when you come onto the property, you can see uh, some new vineyards that you've replanted and places where you're going to be replanting. So this is a, a big process, right? How many years into this, I mean, how as you look forward, you have how many more years of replanting to do, and what's that look like? Five to six more years all in. We're, uh, we're, we're planting the best soils first. The soils that need more uh, attention are being planted secondarily. There are a few spots where we may actually not plant vines and do something more exotic to, to continue that idea of biodiversity in the property. But it's, it's a long-term plan, yes. Let's talk about that biodiversity. Um, I heard a quote from you, which I really love. Uh-oh. <laughs> so it's like, oh, gosh, what is she going to say? Um, so I heard you say, you've got to have biodiversity or you're doomed. And why is that? Uh, monoculture is is not a sustainable way to farm. We, we've, we've proven that in the Central Valley, in, in seas of just alfalfa or just peas or just wheat. You've got to encourage biodiversity so that you've got beneficial insects and, and eating the non-beneficials. And uh, the only way to really do that is by through biodiversity, there's no doubt. But when you talk about a vineyard, I mean, we always we hear about old growth vines, you know, old, old vines, right? So monoculture, where you're planting the same thing over and over again, but these vines traditionally stay in the ground a long time. So how do you create biodiversity with a plant that's going to stay, right? So what do you do around that plant? Well, you leave a lot of land in its natural state. So of our 450 acres, plus or minus, we will only have perhaps 80 under vine total. The hillsides will remain with blue and live oak and valley oak. We've, we leave all the seasonal grasses, obviously. We have, and then you, you create niches amongst those vineyards where there are other things that are beneficial, i.e. a bee garden, a chicken coop, uh, a grove of um, fruit trees, uh, honeybee hives, yeah. we're in that vein. Right, right. And you certainly have the property to do that here. We and do. you have, uh, it appears, a lot of water. One of the things we were, when we got to tour the property yesterday, you were talking to us about how you're trying to capture some of the water and re and, and utilize as opposed to, well, vines in general don't take up a lot of water, right? They do not. But you're trying not to lose the rainwater you get and some of the drainage you get. Correct. Some of the, we, we will, we're putting in and will have in place and are putting in more drain tile that will capture water that would normally just be wasted into the uh, other, other topsoil or as winter runoff. And we are allowed to capture that water and not have to tap into wells or river right water so it's a, it's it's a it's a lot more it's sustainable for sure mm -hmm. and more environmentally sound and it, it's better all around it's the idea of those rain tubs you see in people's gardens where they capture the, you know, and then you've got your little spout at the bottom. On a, on a the large same sort, scale. Yeah, exactly, yeah. much bigger scale. Yeah. But I think that I like that idea of that forward thinking, and we all need to be doing that in all sorts of different industries. And how, what are we doing today that's going to help protect us all down the road and help save this beautiful 
uh, piece of land down the road. Well, and with water, it's front and center right now. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, yeah. especially with the ongoing drought here in California, mm -hmm. which is not boring. <laughs> right, right. Um, but before we get a little bit more into all that, and um, we want to talk about climate change here too, um, tell us about your path to wine. My path to wine. I have a. I'm Canadian. I was born in Toronto. Went to university in Montreal, McGill University. Got a degree in business, and with that kind of degree, of course, you get a job as a bartender, which is what I did, <laughs> and that segued into uh, the wine program at, at one of Toronto's uh, top restaurants that had a, a nationally known uh, sommelier slash wine director, and that in turn led to becoming in the lead in the wine program, and then other restaurants where I was a buyer, beverage manager, I became a certified sommelier, did a little bit of importing, and then finally got sort of fed up with the sex and drugs and rock and roll of the restaurant business and decided yeah. I wanted to get my hands dirty, and so I traveled a little bit, went to school and studied enology and viticulture and moved to California to full-time in 1989. When you were first making that move into the wine sommelier world and stuff, was your family behind you? Did they say, well, wait a minute, you got this business degree and you're working in a restaurant and you're going to stay in that world? Were they cool with that or were they thinking that you were somehow off track? My father was, <clears throat> excuse me, he was thrilled that one of his kids was actually going to make something that was tangible as opposed to <laughs> just making money, which is what I was trained to do and what my brothers did yeah. and do and are very good at. Mm -hmm. So he was absolutely behind it. Oh, yeah. I love it. Good yeah. for him. Yeah. <laughs> so great. yeah, you went from sommelier into learning how to become a winemaker. Correct. And uh, tell us about that part of the path. It seemed like a natural progression. And really, I, you're, you're learning and studying in its geography, its culture, its it's it's uh, uh, the whole ball of wax, but I really wanted to, and, and you're, you're meeting winemakers and wine growers and grape growers, I just wanted to do it instead of sell it and... Get your hands in it. Exactly, and so now I am. Yeah. So no regrets. Did, well, that's fantastic. Yeah. And how did you end up here in Mendocino? It, I, I began my career in Sonoma County in Dry Creek, uh, working at Dry Creek Vineyard, it was a it was a brand that I was actually selling in Toronto at the time, so that was the the set the uh, the segue. But I um I wanted something that was more rural and more agrarian, access to more old vine fruit, and this opportunity came up. And at the at the time, John had hired David Ramey to be his consultant, so it was it was too good to be true. Moved to a more and I, and I had two young boys. Who I wanted to be, have them be able to run around a bit more, and so we moved from the hustle and bustle of Healdsburg, which wasn't up to the <laughs> the, the really low hustle and bustle of of uh, Ukiah, the the cultural capital of Northern California, right. and and it was a great move. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And fortunate that it worked going from the Fetzer family to the Taub family. That that, that transition, you know, we were through two different owners that both. Uh, valued you and your expertise, and with with good reason. And, you and were also, well known around here. And also, the Fetzer family is known for sustainability, being a leader in sustainability, and for that to continue um, with you through um, the transition to Tob is really, I think, very exciting. It's exciting. They're they're both visionary families. There's no doubt, and so yeah, I am excited. It's how we farmed, and it's how we intend to to farm moving forward. Mm -hmm. 
you describe Mark as a Mark Taub as a guy with big dreams and big ideas, and you know, when he comes to the property, he's got millions of things he wants to do, and he's just he's he's dreaming stuff. Is that a fun way to work? You know, are you are you the implementer of the dreams? <laughs> I try to be. Uh, he, he's incredibly dynamic. He would like to see things in the ground a little bit quicker than how we're progressing. I think that's been a bit of a reality check, but he understands fully that the more methodical and careful we are and the more we, we uh, embellish and enrich our soils, the more long-lasting and sustainable it's going to be. He, mm -hmm. he's, he, he wants something that his grandkids, who he doesn't have yet, so he's are going to be here. He's got the long-term vision. He does now, absolutely. And it's, uh, it's refreshing and it's the right thing to do, for sure. So I'm very pleased that he has that mindset. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, and looking at long-term, I mean, a big topic besides water um, is climate change, and I'm curious as to how it's impacted you here at Saracena since you've been here, and um, how you're addressing the challenges going forward. We are, <clears throat> excuse me, part of the of our replanting schedule and what we're choosing to replant and how we're doing it and in what soils and with what trellis systems is taking that into account in in every aspect. So. As an example, we're planting, we have planted um, 13 acres of, of Bordeaux varietals and some of the nicest loam soil on the property. And we've, we've put it on a trellis system that's going to allow, allow that, that canopy to completely uh, block the fruit from sunburn and at the same time allow dappled light to get through the fruit and, and uh, really, really exaggerate the, the ability to ripen tannins without necessarily getting sugars too early. It's a conscious decision and with that trellis system to, to mitigate the, the increasingly hot afternoon suns that we get. Um, and is it, that's more labor intensive, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, but worth it if you can protect your fruit. We shall see, we certainly hope so. <laughs> it's, uh, people are taking a look at this as they drive past the property going, this is radical. Oh, and it, it is, is radical, radical from Mendocino okay. County. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess, do you like being radical and doing things that um, are on the cutting edge? A, yes, and B, I don't think we have a choice at this point. I think that you have to, you have, you have to have, change your mindset because we are, we're being challenged in every single year. Sure, and um, what about the fire threat um, and how, you know, there have been several wildfire fires in Mendocino County over the past several years. Um, have any come really close to ranch here or any of your other vineyards right across the highway the hillsides oh, were glowing so it is scary uh we have learned to well i have learned through through the help of our of my neighbors that we can uh, easily craft great white wines in any kind of fire season red wines are much more challenging and as an industry we haven't completely figured it out yet i think that if this continues we're gonna figure it out yeah um well, you are fortunate to have this cave space to keep your uh, your barrels protected, and you know. <laughs> We're fortunate to have it for many reasons. It's the it's the nicest place to work in the in the facility when it's twenty three degrees Fahrenheit outside, and when it's ninety degrees outside. And I think if there was to be any kind of calamity or earthquake, this would be the place. As long as there was some cheese in here, <laughs> and, a, and a cork, I think we'd be styling. So you, you have your emergency kit. This is it. This is it. Yeah. It is a really cool cave, and I'm sure it was a big undertaking to get it uh, It was huge. Built. It yeah. was huge. It was not a slow process. The rock that we hit right in behind me is 
the expression hard as rock is an understatement with this. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was unfun. So it was, it was a laborious, long project, but the results are worth it. We're, it's, it's ideal. And the rock that you all left exposed is really beautiful. It is pretty. We, and, you know, we're here in the cave. We've got, you know, the glow of light, kind of low lighting, kind of, you know, the romantic setting you think of when you're tasting wine or in a wine cave. Very cool. And a, and a table made from pickle? From a Del Monte pickle barrel. <laughs> yep. Doesn't get any better. It doesn't, doesn't smell like pickles, though. <laughs> Ducked away to smell it. We're good. It smells. It just smells like wax. It's beautiful. For someone who doesn't know Saracena, describe your wines. Tell us, uh, like, some of your favorite wines that you're making, and and what's wonderful about them. We are. We have a lot of access to old vine material, which is exciting. You tend to get, especially with less and less precipitation, and the fact that many of them are dry farm. We get we get access to very very concentrated fruit, both both on the property and off. I, having having been here for uh, for 20 years, I've been able to make wines off of so many different vineyards in this county. Uh, bo- both John and Mark have been very encouraging to go beyond just dabbling. F- find the best sources of fruit, try them out, see if they work, see if they don't work, and and so it's been a real luxury as far as that goes. And I think that 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 um, is exemplified in our wines. There's a and and there's a we're trying to or I am trying to let the vineyard speak more than the winemaking. So they're understated in terms of the amount of new oak that we use. That's intentional. Uh, we love tons of natural acidity, and we get that with old vine fruit. And I, as I've gotten older, I've I've uh, learned to appreciate austerity in wines more than I used to, and I think that that is. I think our wines are austere in a good way, in the, in the best possible way. Well, you've poured a few for us. Should we try some? Absolutely. Yeah, it's about that time. So what's our first, <laughs> what's our first wine? Our first wine is our 2020 unoaked Chardonnay. Yep. On your left. On my left, okay. Yeah. So oh, we... Beautiful. It's so aromatic, and um, I love not having the oak in the nose. You just got that pure expression pure fruit. of fruit yeah, it's great. and um, minerality and acid. It was an homage to, this, is, this property is the original Sundial Ranch. Most of your listeners are not going to be old enough to remember what Sundial was, but it was a, it was a, a no-oak Chardonnay skew that the Fetzer family took up to almost a million cases. Its biggest competition was Kendall Jackson Vintners Reserve. It was I, that I, large. I do believe I had... Um, sundial back in the day. It was actually my wine by the glass at the was first it? restaurant where oh, I was a fantastic. buyer in Toronto <laughs> really? a lifetime ago. Well, so you've come full circle. I have, <laughs> ironically. Yeah. The idea was to use that same fruit. So we, when we began our replanting process at Saracena, we left some of the, no, the, the vineyards that we left in were the ones that we thought were necessary to continue with the quality we were we were striving for, and also the best old vine material that was still yielding somewhat economically viable crops. So we left in the original two sundial blocks, and this wine is made from those two blocks that were planted in 1980. So they're not ancient vines; they're they're 40 plus year old vines. Right, it makes a gorgeous Chardonnay, and that's as you mentioned, there's a nice the, the fruits there, but also a nice crispness and 
some acid that it's really snappy. Is like, yeah. It's definitely snappy. I and, like that a snappy wine. Yeah, and pretty naked. I like yeah. the stone fruit and pear notes to it. It's it's a super refreshing. There is some some depth to it, some richness, and that's due to Lee's contact. Mm-hmm. I've been asked many times if there's sugar in the wine, it's bone dry. That that mm-hmm. that texture that you get is from the Lee's contact. And it makes it a little creamy. A little creamier without 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 having a metal and without malolactic or, or wood as an influence. I just love the aromas and even I'm getting like a pear blossom. You know, it's just mm-hmm. the white flowers. It's just so pretty. I really love that. I agree. And you're planning more Chardonnay, right? We are. We're planning more Chardonnay to supplement this blend. We are doing some fairly radical stuff for inland Mendocino County. What do you mean? Clonal selections. We're planting things like Mount Eden and Wente and Robert Young clones okay. on some radical rootstock and, with some and and what makes those radical because those and for people who are kind of a little bit geeky about Chardonnay they those are very familiar clones what makes it radical here they're typically cooler climate clones and we're warm here they also are not heavy crop producers we're not shooting for ten tons an acre we're shooting for four and a half or five with quality as the goal not quantity. And that's a little bit rare these days when you're spending X thousands of dollars on planting a vineyard. Right. So the, the eye is to quality, and, and that makes it radical. And How lucky for you to be in a position to be thinking of quality over quantity. It's and- huge. <laughs> it's a luxury. It's a giant luxury that I, that I uh, appreciate every day. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of creativity, or you know, you're just like, you know, it's really what you think works and what you want to pursue, and you've got the freedom to be as creative as you you want and as the fruit will let you. Yeah, could be dangerous. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had any ones that didn't quite work out the way you wanted? Always. There's always some fails. Yeah. But they're learning opportunities. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're not real failures. I don't think we've m- made any bad wine. I think we've made. Uh, a, I, I, it's like it's like one of your kids making a wine and, and bringing it to bottle, and I don't think I, I love them all really. Yeah. It just depends on whether it's for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. What I <laughs> or in between? <laughs> yeah, or in between, right? Um, well, we have another very interesting wine, our second wine, um, and we were talking about the old vines, and this one has quite the story. Tell us about it. This is. 2020 Sauvignon Blanc Lalonis Vineyard. Lalonis is a vineyard in Redwood Valley, which happens to be the oldest Sauvignon Blanc planted in the country. It was planted in 1942. That is amazing. Up here in Mendocino County, you would think maybe in Napa, but no, Mendocino. Yeah. One of the luxuries we have, as I alluded to earlier, was the access to old vine fruit. A lot of that old vine fruit is being grown by third and fourth and now fifth generation families. Some of these vineyards, if you were in Napa or Sonoma, wouldn't exist any longer. They would have been pulled and planted to Cabernet Sauvignon. We've it been would very, be a shame. It would be a shame. We've been very lucky to have yeah. people that have got real heart and soul and are farming with love with these vineyards. This, this exemplifies that in, in spades. It's, as I said, the oldest Sauvignon Blanc plant in the country. It's on 14-foot spacing. You could land a small plane down the middle of the, <laughs> the row if you wanted to. It's dry-farmed. Nice. It yields... 
in, in 2020, it yielded just over one ton per acre. Well, you, um, what? Yeah. You were t telling us yesterday, I believe, that over the past couple of years, the yields on this vineyard have been declining, like, declining rapidly. rapidly. Yeah. It was kind of all like, whoa. Yeah. So this is like it's the treasure. Yeah, you're, <laughs> this is like the precious baby here. It is. It's a little bit rare. It's rare yeah, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. we are, that decline is, is due in part to drought okay. because these vineyards mm -hmm. are dry farmed. Mm -hmm. We are looking at trying to graft the original plant material over to St. George rootstock mm -hmm. and, and replant a couple of blocks to see if we can it's emulate mm -hmm. the same quality. Mm -hmm. But the, the core is these, are these original 10 acres that were planted in, in the early 40s that are, are it's, stunning. It's a beautiful wine and the aromatics on it are really intense. They're really good, yeah. And uh, it's also not your typical Sauvignon Blanc. There are a lot of people, especially like it's the furthest thing from a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc as possible. There's a place for New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah, I love it. It's at absolutely. airport bars, mm -hmm. it's perfect. But this is, <laughs> this is, there's nothing tropical about this wine right. whatsoever. And that's by design, I think. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think. I know it's by design. The winemaking is... Uh, it's really, it's neutral, i.e. where we ferment with native yeast in neutral barrels, meaning there's no new wood. This has a very, very small amount of, there was one barrel that was two years old out of eight in the whole mix. So there's, if you dug really deeply, you might say that there is a tiny little note of, of oak in the mix, but it's more, it's about the vineyard and trying to be an expression of the vineyard. So it's, it's racy. Mm -hmm. It has lower valley levels of acidity and the pH is, 3.0, you're talking about Moselle Riesling kind of levels. It's relatively creamy, even with that acidity, because of the lees contact. We do a little batonnage, which means we stir the lees. Yeah, it's it, we're, try, we're trying to just sort of nurse this vineyard to the bottle <laughs> without screwing yeah. it up. You won't add water? You're going to keep it dry farmed? We are actually... Considering I'm, I was working with Ethan Polos, who owns the vineyard, with his wife Denise, who's a Lolonis, and there's a consideration of actually putting in drip to mm -hmm. see if we can get another half a ton an acre out of it. Yeah. To be determined. I know. We've talked to a couple of winemakers who've been in that position too, where they've done dry farming, and that was the intent. And the but the drought's been so intense that they're looking at yeah. adding a little. They're rethinking, yeah. yeah. At least having have, the ability because you want the vineyards to survive. Right. right, and the and the dry farming aspect of it isn't dogma necessarily. Right. So, yeah. and that's I'm good. not opposed. Yeah, it's good to be flexible about that and not be so dogmatic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I have a question, uh, one of many, but <laughs> <laughs> um, the name Saracena, where does that come from? It was a little crossroads slash hamlet in Tuscany where John Fetzer and his wife Patty Rock honeymooned. Mm, nice. And when they, they stayed there, it, they thought it was very evocative of this property here. There is sort of a Tuscan feel to, to Saracena mm -hmm. geographically and in terms of what we planted similar flora and fauna, wild boars and things like that. And so they asked the owner if they could use the name Saracena. He said, yes. We sent him a few cases of wine. The very first thing that John did when he got back was get a bunch of sheep and put bells underneath their necks because <laughs> it was because they were all over the property in, in in at Saracena in Tuscany where they stayed and they lasted about a weekend. 
Uh oh. Oh no. Before the uh, coyotes. Coyotes. Oh yeah. dear. Yeah. Oh my. Well, I mean, it's it's the wild west. <laughs> and, and, and Mendocino is wilder than than most. Actually. Yeah. Well, so describe where you guys are. So for people who don't know the area, you're in southern Mendocino. We are. And how far outside of Healdsburg are you? You're between Ukiah and Healdsburg. Twenty-five miles, about thirty-minute drive. Uh huh. Yeah. And it, it's stunning drive, by the way. So for people who are coming to visit, do most people then stay in Healdsburg and then drive up from Healdsburg to, to come visit you guys? That's been, historically, that's, that's how it's been. We are, um, one of the things that Mark has really been working on quickly is to develop some beautiful housing to let people not just visit the property, but stay on the property. Wow. That should be in place within the next 12 months. So wow. we'll, have, we'll have the opportunity to host people and... And have them stay overnight. It is gorgeous out here. I mean, it's a really magical spot. When people come on the property, they get it. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. do. They, they probably don't want to leave. Many don't. And that's why we <laughs> want to get some housing, some comfortable housing, so that they can stay if they want to. I don't know to. if you're going to be able to get rid of me and Mary. You can, you can stay. <laughs> when we were visiting, touring around yesterday, we heard about a wedding, a couple that had come to look at the site for a, uh, an upcoming wedding. And it, you can see why this would be very appealing for things like that. It's yeah, we've not, we've not ventured into that too deeply yet, mm -hmm. but there's been so much demand and interest, it's hard to turn people away. And, and we're not, we don't have, luxuriously, we don't have the same kind of traffic you would have on Highway 29 or on Dry Creek yeah. Road. And we'd like to we'd like to increase that a little bit within reason, and getting people onto the property with a wedding or will will help too. So when people come visit, what's the experience like? What can they expect? They can expect, depending on on what time they've got, they can expect a to bump into me probably wandering around with a glass of wine in my <laughs> well, hand, which is fun. Know, and that's really cool it's because huge. you can't say that at um, a winery in parts south of here. Yeah. Yeah, you're, it's not going to happen in the heart of Napa or, or you know, any many popular wine growing regions. You know, to be able to have contact with the winemaker is huge. Yeah, well, I'd like to see who's who's tasting our wines and drinking them. That and that helps inform what we're doing in the winery with my, with me and Eddie and Martine, my crew, who've been with me for a long, long time. Uh, shout out to you, Eddie. Anyway, hey. uh, <laughs> um, but what can people expect? They can expect a, a really personal experience that could involve a hike, a drive around in one of our quads to look at the, the new baby goats. It can be Which we got to do yesterday. A cave, a cave tour. Yeah. Eat a nice chunk of cheese. Mm. Enjoy the willows. We the want alpaca. people to, the alpaca. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we want people to hang out and really enjoy the property. That's that's Mark's vision is to get people He's putting a lot of effort into this and we're we're trying to implement that and he wants people to enjoy it. He really does. Mm -hmm. And and John Fetzer did too. He really he, he he started the foundations of this of this lovely place and wanted people to really enjoy it as well. Yeah, it's it's um like a little mini vacation out here. It's not That's one of the those idea. kind That's of shopping mall experiences where you're, you know, I, where it's one winery after another and you're on mm -hmm. the strip of, you know, go, go, go. This is really quiet. It's lovely. I would it's say it's peaceful. the antithesis of a shopping mall, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um, but you do have a few products. Um, you have honey and you have olive oil. Um, we do. And the, the olive trees are right as you right in front of the, the winery building. They're all over the place. The, the, the trees in front of the tasting room are the oldest. Mm -hmm. They're Sevianas from 1878. In wow. addition, we have two dedicated groves, which are Tuscan varieties, Lucino, Moremo, 
Pendolino, Brentoyo, and then we have trees planted throughout the whole property, and with those, we do make olive oil every single year. We process it in Hopland. It's delicious. It's definitely a two-and-a-half or a three-cough olive oil, pretty snappy and pretty peppery. Yeah, sounds very robust. It is robust. It's not for the faint of heart, but it's, it, it's, it's yummy. It, that's, that's part of that biodiversity you talked yeah. about. Like Absolutely. The different products here and the different yeah. um, crops, yeah. right? And, yep. And you have happy bees. We have happy bees. Rose Killian is the rock star of beekeeping north of the Golden Gate, and she happens to be our beekeeper. She's a genius. Wonderful. And she loves it. And if it weren't for her bee pollen, I would have I wouldn't be able to speak through this microphone today because my allergies get so bad this time of oh, year. Wow. It's a, it's a, it's amazing. She's a yeah. She's a sage. She's brilliant. That sounds amazing. I need some of that bee pollen. Know, right. <laughs> does get pretty intense, it the does. hay fever. I know. I <laughs> yeah. Know. I've Not been anymore. Suffering. Yeah. Well, Just be pollen. 100%. So we are sitting in the cave, and we are actually sitting below a vineyard. Tell us about that. We are. Directly above us are uh, Zin vines that John planted in 1997. They are Duprat clone on St. George rootstock. The Duprat clone is one of the Mendocino venerable historical old vine Zin clones. It's, it's low yielding. We typically get about two tons per acre off of it. It's effectively dry farmed. We have irrigation, but the water just runs down the hill. Mm-hmm. So we don't bother irrigating any longer. And it, even, at, even at, at adequate ripeness levels, and I will, um, I'm not going to um, apologize for having an alcohol in the 14.5 range for mm-hmm. this wine for Zinfandel in our county. And we're hearing the sound of Zinfandel being poured into our glasses. It's a great sound. It is. <laughs> and um, Bethany Burke is yeah, behind is the scenes here. So thank you, Bethany. Yeah, Bethany, thank you. Uh, it's ripe, but with this, this clone, you can get to this level of ripeness, uh, mid-14% without molasses oh. or oh, brown sugar or cooked aromatics. It's really yummy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just had this, oh, the aromatics yeah. alone. It's a great one. I love making Zinfandel. I've been making it for 30 years in Dry, in dry oh, this Creek. Is be- this is a beautiful one. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. This is really nice. Yep. So will you plant more Zin, or are you just going to stick with what you've got here? We actually planted the coolest block in the whole uh, facility first we had, a, we had some virus cabernet that we yanked out, and it's in some great soils. We planted a block of Alicante Boucher in Zinfandel. Yeah, and pretty yeah, pretty radical. It's fun. Yeah, so the Alicante Boucher, I mean, hardly anybody's growing it. What possessed you? Because, yeah. I think I just woke up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. <laughs> like I usually do every night and thought, we need to plant a little block of Alicante. <laughs> okay, you guys, back it up for the wine dummies like me. What's that? I don't know what... Alicante Boucher is an, is an ancient grape variety that's what they call a tincturer. So in, in almost all wine grapes, the juice is clear. And you're, you, when you make red wine, the color comes from the anthocyanin in the skins. Right. In this case, the juice is actually pigmented. It's slightly red hue. Yeah, so when you squeeze the grape, red juice comes out. Oh, okay. But it's also, it has this kind of built-in rustic, note to it if it's made correctly in a, in a, in a great way. Mm-hmm. It should be, it, it's, it'll be a great 
just a little dab in this sin will be a really, really interesting component. We will probably also have to make at least one barrel for the tasting room for our... For I think our, you have to do a single bottle. We will. Yeah. It might be 25 cases, but we will for sure. <laughs> but otherwise, in the Zen, a little dab will do you? A little dab could do you, yes. <laughs> and a little dab of petite Syrah, which is a magic bullet for all of Zinfandel. And we've, grown, we're, we've planted some petite Syrah as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Do you have any other interesting varieties that you're planning to put in with your replanting project? We're doing a, a dedicated Sauvignon Blanc block so to to supplement or augment our, our, our Sauvignon Blanc Normale, our, our, our Mendocino Sau Blanc. And one component of that is going to be Sauvignon Gris, which is a Loire Valley variety, not actually Sauvignon Blanc. Just to add a little bit of kind of gras, some, some grease or some weight to the... Grease Ooh. sounds obscene, but it's not <laughs> some, some weight. Add, add some you some don't texture. hear that in the wine world very often. Well, the, when you say it in French, it sounds so much more elegant and... <laughs> And and more appropriate for wine than saying it's it's greasy. Greasy, yeah. greasy wine. Oh, okay. But a, a different a different nuance component for the yeah. Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. We are planting a little bit of Semillon as well, which will also augment the Sauvignon Blanc and could end up being a standalone wine. Sure, I love Semillon on its own. And then we have one block that we haven't figured out yet. We've got the rootstock, and I think we're going to get really radical and do some goofy, fun stuff to be determined. We keep throwing out different ideas, and we're batting things around. But What do you want to do? I want to do some Italian varietals that are legit. Fiano would be lovely oh, and yeah. very appropriate for our climate. Okay. And there are a couple of people that are friends of mine locally that have, are having success with that, are making some great wines. Yields are low, but... That's one variety that we're definitely thinking about. We're thinking about Vermentino, which is another variety which is appropriate for our climate. Mm-hmm. And but tiny little pieces of these, mm-hmm. an acre and a half, two acres of each. What fun! I love your fun. adventurous spirit, and I love the fact that you have been you have the license to do all of that. That uh, the Taub family says, "Go for it!" You know, explore, make the most of this land, and let it express itself. It's just wonderful. Yeah, as I said, it's a luxury that I am. That I should have. When you ask the question about what's the best, what's my favorite part about yeah. working here? It's the luxury of being able to do these things and have the the backing and the enthusiasm behind it to so, to do it and pull it off, and try and pull it off. So when you're not making wine, you mentioned you have two sons. What else? What What do you do for your for fun in in the off periods when you're not here, in the cave or at the winery or in the vineyards? Aside from cooking and eating and drinking, which every winemaker is interested in, mm-hmm. needless to say, uh, I love art and music. I dabble a little bit in goofy art, and I'm, I I play with ceramics and study ceramics. Oh, cool! Great. And like to look at art. Uh huh. Quite a bit. That occupies most of my time, really. Your favorite genre or style of art you gravitate to? Mm, not really. Uh, the Dutch masters are not something that I'm that I'm interested in any longer. <laughs> or uh, uh, abstract expressionism, I think, because it's the most accessible for. And but what the Northern California art scene is really vibrant, especially when you get to a small scale. And there's so much to see that's just radical and. Well, I think good winemakers are artists, you know, so it's not surprising to me that you're interested in both music and art and that you have that, that part of the brain, right? It's, um, 
it's how you're expressing yourself in the wine as well. It can be artistic, and here it is because we're at such a small scale. It is artisanal for sure, and yes, I would agree with you. And what about music? What kind of music do you like? Loud. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever play loud music here in the caves or in the All cellar? The time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's on your Spotify list or? Everything. I love um, everything from 60s jazz to uh, Sophie Tucker. Um, it's pretty broad. Yeah. Having two kids that are in their early 20s is an amazing... I, I, I get a wealth of music sent to me every single day. Dad, do listen really? to this. Dad, crank oh, this up. Awesome. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And are, do either of your sons have an interest in the wine world? They did... And they like to drink wine and taste wine, and both of them are great cooks, which if, which I think all twenty one year olds now are, are now given how much they cooking they watch on YouTube. YouTube, yeah. it's on yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 insane and good at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I think that they are not interested in this as a career at this point. Yeah, food truck is what my youngest son is interested in, and I would back that hundred percent. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, nice. yeah, something radical though. Yeah. <laughs> not, not your standard food truck. Not your taco. I wonder where you get that. <laughs> Don't know. That apple didn't fall far. You Maybe know? from his old man. Could be. Yeah. That grape didn't fall far. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you love most about being in Mendocino County? I like the I like the people that I've met more than anything. I would say we have we have some serious iconoclasts in terms of grape growers. Some curmudgeonly brash, blunt people, go figure, maybe they're a little bit like me. So I, li I like those personalities. The, the people are great up here, they really are. And, and, our, and our winemaking community is really collegiate. It's not, it's not competitive. We share ideas constantly, especially in the face of adversity, like when, we had some, when we've had smoke issues, we're sharing mm -hmm. all that information. It's, it's really, which is so refreshing to hear. I love when people tell me that. We're that, lucky. Yeah. I mean, it. it's not, to me, that's not a given that different wineries and winemakers would want to help one another. But it's something you hear over and over again in the in, in the wine world that yeah. it is very um, fraternal. Like, let me, do you need this equipment? Let me, let you know, sure, you can borrow my equipment. Oh, you, I did that once. Let me tell you what happened and what was my experience. And maybe you can learn from that or, you know what I mean? It's very. There I'm is a lot of sharing. There is no doubt. Yeah. Industry wide. But I found it to be even more so. I think the more rural you get, the more sharing that there is probably, mm -hmm. and or not probably, definitely. And so I like that. I like, I like the diversity we have in geography here. It's amazing. You're, you're at the coast in less than an hour. Our coastline is amazing. We source a lot of fruit from the Anderson Valley, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. I love going over the Anderson Valley every three days and going from 80 degrees to 60 degrees and in the fog. <laughs> How far is Anderson Valley from here? The way I drive, about 35 minutes. <laughs> the way you drive. But a normal to... person, maybe 45. <laughs> so I take it you um, like to, do you have a heavy foot on the pedal? Maybe a With little bit. With the loud music. And maybe the... a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sense to reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so where are you in the process right now in terms of your winemaking? What are you working on currently? And what's, what's filling your days these days? We're in bottling season right now, so we're preparing to bottle our... Lalonis 2021 Sauvignon Blanc, our, our Mendocino Sauvignon Blanc, 
Our un-oak Chardonnay is coming up in, a, in less than a month. We've already, we have done rosé already, needless to say. And, and then there's a little pause where hopefully we all get some time off to sort of relax and, and put our feet up before bottlings in the spring, late spring, early summer. And then these days, then we're into harvest, which we're starting Earlier, late August. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So in five to ten years, what will Saracena be? In what's, you know, where do you see the winery, the wines being? In terms of? In terms of after the changes you're making, um, the replanting. Um, I see it being more vibrant, okay. better, mm-hmm. if in, in, in a good way, um, but I think, and dynamic. I, I don't think that the dynamism is going to ever go away, given my employer's enthusiasm for this property and Mark's enthusiasm and, and his son, Jake, who's sl- slotted to take the reins over when, when Mark uh, decides to slow down. And I don't see that happening, frankly. He isn't <laughs> the kind of personality at all. But Jake, who's 25, is even more enthusiastic than his dad, if that's right. possible. And wow. he's got ideas mm-hmm. up the wazoo for this property. So I see it being even more dynamic and cutting edge and hopefully leaders in the community. I really, in a good, in a good way, not, in, not meaning, I'm not trying to be, I am a relatively humble person, I think, so I'm not trying to, hope I'm not sounding snobby by say <laughs> that we want to lead, but we kind of do. Be, you when you really do the work of that too. You know, we are doing the work, with, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can be role models. We're trying yeah. and we're visible. Yeah. You drive by the property and we want, so we want the role model aspect to be we want people to see it for the right reasons. Well, it certainly is a gem, and for our listeners, certainly worth the journey to Healdsburg and then beyond to Southern Mendocino to, to discover Saracena Vineyards. It's gorgeous here, and Alex McGregor, thank you so much for this lovely conversation and for sharing your wines and how fun to get to talk to you in this part of the process as you're replanting and and with all the exciting plans for Saracena and the big dreams that I know you'll bring to fruition because it seems like you guys have the passion and the dedication to make it happen. So good luck to you and thank you again for for sharing all of this with us. Absolutely. We love getting to know you, hearing your story, hearing Saracena's story Something we're going to stay on top of for sure. Excellent. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. All right. Well, listen, sip, sip, hooray, and cheers Cheers. to you, Alex. Cheers. Here's the future. The future. Cheers. Well, Mary Orland, that was so much fun getting to know Alex today. What an interesting guy, and I love his kind of uh, the explorer spirit that he embodies and whether it's trying different varietals and trying to figure out what is best expressed here at Saracena just a a really cool person to get to know today absolutely and you know I always feel that a winemaker's personality comes across in the wines Mm -hmm. and you can certainly see that or taste it and smell it in these beautiful wines and these kind of fun radical wines that Alex is creating and um, I just really applaud all the efforts from not only Alex, but his team here at Saracena, mm-hmm. from Mark Taub and of Taub Family Selections for being really good stewards of the land, of um, the heritage that comes with Saracena. It's really, 
um, quite a unique place. It absolutely is. And as we said, it's in southern Mendocino, and it's a lovely place to visit. So um, it's a place they want you to come see and check out and explore. So our listeners, make that happen. Definitely make it happen. But until then, you can certainly enjoy the wines, and you can find them at saracena.com. Um, Chardonnays, the Sauve Blancs, the Zinfandel. I mean, these wines are just amazing, and I'm really blown away. Me too, and I like, as Alex said, the austerity of them and the the expression of fruit. Yeah. These are not overdone wines. They're really no, no. restrained and beautiful. They, they're, they're distinct, and they have a personality, and I love that. But um, we thank you all for listening and joining us today on Sip, Sip, Hooray!, Um, If you like what you've heard, please share this with your friends and family. We are at sipsipparaypodcast.com, and you can find our podcast on any of the platforms you listen to. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. Mary Orlin, cheers, girl. Mary Babbitt, cheers to you, and a big Saracena cheers. Sip, sip, hooray. Hooray.